Lord, from the, from the money we're blessed with to the time we're blessed with to the talent that you have blessed us with, help us understand better that it is more, better to give than to receive. Thank you for this truth. Thank you for this place that we're meeting in today, the work and the labor that has gone in with the hands who prepared it once you authorized it, approved the loan, had the closing. Lord, we thank you for this space. We thank you that we aren't sitting here today worried about somebody breaking in, harming us physically, that we have the freedom to worship you, Father, in this wonderful land. And Lord, we're grateful today that more people are still trying to get to America than trying to leave. So we thank you for the freedom that so many have uh, provided for us in the past. Lord, your word says that you set up kings and you take down kings. And so, Lord, in a troubled, troubled world this morning, we just uh, pray that we can see your hand as you're moving through history, because history is yours. You created it. And help us, Father, to live in your spirit today and as we move forward this week. Thank you this day for these blessings. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Good morning. For those who are visiting, my name is Chris Williamson. I'm honored to be the senior pastor of Strong Tower Bible Church, where our vision is to experience and expand God's diverse kingdom in the city and throughout the world. And uh, if you felt the presence of the Lord in the house today, can you say amen? Amen. Amen. So glad, so glad that he has built us for community, first with him and then with one another. A wise man told me this past week that you can't separate the head from the body. Um, no Lone Ranger Christians 
we need one another just as much as we need the Lord. We need to love God and love our neighbors as we do ourselves. And so blessed to be a part of a diverse church uh, where you get some red shoes on the platform and, you know, some, some, some powerful music. Thank you, guys. Um, I want to wish all the dads a happy Father's Day. Um, and I will tell you that uh, the greatest gift that we can get today um, is not that tie or those socks or uh, a wallet. You know, some of the most boringest gifts in the world. Uh, <laughs> that's not the best gift that we can get. But it's what the apostle said in 3 John when he said, I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in the truth. You want to give us a gift today. Be children, sons and daughters who walk with the Lord. That's all we want. That, that's the greatest gift that you can ever give us as, as fathers. I want to thank uh, all the zealots that showed up yesterday to clean this house. My, come on, y'all. Let's put them together. Come on. We made so much headway yesterday that I don't think it's going to take three weeks. Just like Nehemiah's crew did it in 52 days. I don't think we need three Saturdays to do this thing. I mean, so much work was done. Uh, I don't know how many tons that that uh, dumpster holds, but we put some tonnage in that bad boy yesterday. Uh, we had folks out here doing the gardening, getting all the weeds up, people on the inside, plastering walls and holes. I mean, it was beautiful. This is a stewardship that God has given us. We have gone from being renters to now being owners, and it's a different kind of investment and mindset. And just to see how you showed up, again, so many people came that uh, the old saying, many hands make the labor light. And we were able to get that stuff done. We didn't even have to work all the way till 3 o'clock. We ended around noon uh, because we ran out of stuff to do. So we're going to go through process this week, find out what needs to be done for next Saturday, and we're going to keep on knocking this thing out. And then uh, I'll hit you with a vision later about uh, refurbishing or, or remodeling this house. That, that's coming next. Remember, we had to get this house. Then we dedicated this house. Now we're cleaning this house, and then we're going to remodel this house, namely this sanctuary. So it's coming. I just want you to know it's coming. Amen. Well, um, also this week, because we're getting ready for our first community day, from this location on the 29th, where this will be our official introduction to the Forest Hills community here. Um, Scott Hamilton is our speaker. We've got inflatable games and music and prizes, Tennessee Titans giveaway items. I mean, it's going to be phenomenal. Uh, we even got the, the professional snow cone people coming. We're not even using the janky snow cone people. We're using a straight-up professional snow cone company that's going to bless children of all ages. So, yeah, you don't want to miss that on the 29th. We'll be right here in the parking lot, front, back, all kind of stuff will be going on. Uh, and so this week uh, we're mailing out uh, 2,500 uh, uh, mailers to the community, inviting them to come out. Strong Tower has never done that because we've technically never had a community. We've just served wherever for the first 18 years of our existence. So to be part of a neighborhood, uh, it's a joy to uh, welcome them and to get to meet them. This will be the first of many ways to try to get in 
to know and love these people as well as the people that we serve at uh, Sophia's Heart, as well as the people that we're going to serve when we open up our fellowship hall to bring the homeless in to sleep here during the week when the weather's horrible in Nashville, um, and then so many other ministry opportunities that we're going to continue to do here in the city of Nashville, and we will not forget our love for Franklin either. Well, this morning I have a guest speaker who is going to bless you big time because he's coming from the word of God, and the word of God is the ultimate blessor. Uh, but before I introduce him, I have some friends who came all the way from California um, because they are extended members of this church through the Fitzgerald and Williamson family. And, uh, and, and I have the privilege this morning of dedicating their daughter, Jaden, to the Lord. So I'm going to ask William Franklin and Michelle Franklin and all of the Fitzgeralds to come join me up front. Come on, let's give God praise as they come. Yeah. Come on, come on, let's this way. Oh, Frank, that is a fine suit there, brother. Amen. Y'all look good. Now, now how long y'all been married? Almost four years. Almost four years. Look like the honey is still in the moon. Is, is that right? <laughs> of course. Amen. She said, of course. Praise the Lord. Well, happy Father's Day, my brother. Oh, I'm screaming and upsetting the baby. I'm, I'm sorry. So would you like to share a few words with your Strong Tower family as we dedicate your daughter to the Lord? Man, this is a blessing for us to be here. What Strong Tower does not know, this day was planned, and I didn't even know it. I recently lost my mom on May 19th, and there is no pain greater than to lose your mother. But the one thing and the one constant has been God, this woman, and this child, and I thank him for it. So I, I appreciate you opening this church and allowing us to be here today. I am full because we were going to dedicate her with my mom. But if you know anything, to be absent from the body is what? So she is looking down right now as we get ready to dedicate her last granddaughter. And she got a chance to see her and spend time with her. And we took one last shot before she went home to be with the Lord on her bed right next to her. So God is good, isn't he? So in the midst of, in the midst of walking through the valley because your brother's in the valley right now, I know that there's a God, yes. and I thank you for this opportunity. Should I hold her or lay hands? Just hold her. Look how she's looking at me, too. She's like, Pastor, it's been a tough morning, all right? Okay. Girl, we can dedicate you with laying of hands. That's fine. Let's pray, family. Uh, oh, God, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for family. Thank you for how you set this thing up, that we can have fellowship and covering and encouragement. And as Frank has just said, even about his own mother, the impact that she has made and is still making on his life to have raised up a godly young man. And we thank you for the lineage, the legacy that is present here in the family. And now, Lord, we come dedicating their daughter, Jaden, to you, praying, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, that she would be blessed in her going out and blessed in her coming in, that at a young, tender age, she would come to know Jesus for herself, 
that she will see your love resident in her mom and in her dad, in her uncles and aunts and everybody, Lord, that's standing with her even now, that, Lord, she would choose you for herself. We plead the blood of Jesus over this baby. And we also, Lord, want to pray for all of our children right now because the enemy comes after our children. But we thank you, Lord, that even if he comes in like a flood, you have the power to lift up a standard against the enemy. So stand strong. Thank you for Jaden's angel right now that watches over her face. Thank you, Lord, for what's going on in the spiritual realm right now. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, her hairs are numbered, that you ordained that she would be a part of this family. So, Lord, we just dedicate her back to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, believing that you're going to cause all grace to abound in and on her behalf, not because of her, but because of you, because you're so rich in mercy. So we consider her dedicated in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen. Come on. Amen, amen, amen. Oh, boy. I have a friend coming to speak this morning. Uh, I've known him for at least 17 years. He is a man of God. He is a servant. He is a leader. Um. And when I first saw him, I fell in love with him, very much the way David did Jonathan. They didn't need a lot of time together. They just, it just clicked. And although our schedules do not allow us to spend a lot of time together, when we do get together, we go deep in a hurry because God's given us this comfort level with one another. And um, he's a good man. And I know you're going to receive him. Uh, he and his family have been attending Strong Tower uh, since last year. And um, he is the executive director of Sage Hill Institute. He is a fellow there. Um, and this institute cares for leaders all around the world, especially leaders who are under great persecution and need encouragement. He is a leader to leaders. He is an, an encourager. Um, but the best thing about my friend Jeff Schulte is his family. First, his wife, Brenda, and their six children. They are blessed to have a wonderful, diverse family. There's Jenna Ray, Jay, Jessica, Anna Kay, Drew, and David. So Strong Tower, um, I told him, I know he preaches at churches all across the country, preached at a pretty large, influential church in Orlando recently. But I told him there's no place like preaching at Strong Tower because uh, we're going to be with you. We're going to be hanging with you on every word. Don't look at the clock. You preach the word. That's the beauty of what God has given us here. So without further ado, would you welcome my friend to the Strong Tower Bible Church pulpit, Jeff Schulte. You know, I am uh, pretty humbled to stand in here today and bring God's word to you, in part because I come here every Sunday that I'm in Nashville and I get to enjoy the feast 
And it is a feast that comes out of here to me through you, Chris. It, I've so many times thought about this. Uh, I had a seminary prof who, when he would teach God's word, people would come up to him afterward and they'd say, Dr. Allen, gosh, when you teach the scripture, the word, it just comes alive. And he would always correct them and say, you know, I appreciate that compliment, but this word uh, was already alive. I just didn't kill it on its way through me. <laughs> and Chris, you don't kill it. You kill it. Does that make sense? Like, you don't kill it, you kill it. And, uh, and my prayer today is that I don't kill it. And that what God wants to say to us, he'll say to us. There have been times I've preached messages because I knew someone needed to hear it. There have been times I've preached messages because I knew I needed to hear it. And there have been times I've preached messages knowing both were true. This morning, I am preaching to myself because I need to hear it. And my prayer is that it would be to your benefit and it would be to your encouragement as you listen in, as I have to remind myself of some very challenging truth that today, if it were not true, I would despair of life itself. I'm going to make two very brief points, and then I'm just going to talk about them from the Scriptures. First is going to be this. It is most likely God who has you where you are, and you will experience God in it if you'll tell the truth about it. It is most likely God who has you where you are, and you will experience God in it if you will tell the truth about it. I'm going to read you a children's story that I have read to my children, and I'm going to read it to you the way I would have read it to them. It's called Going on a Bear Hunt by Michael Rosen and Helen Oxenbury. Getting used to the stage, man. We've got to remodel this place. Okay. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Uh-oh, grass, long, wavy grass. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. Oh, no, we've got to go through it. Swishy, swashy, swishy, swashy, swishy, swashy. <laughs> now, you're going to have to help me this time. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Uh-oh, a river, a deep, cold river. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. Oh, no, we've got to go through it. Splash, splosh, splash, splosh, splash, splosh. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Oh, no, mud, thick, oozy mud. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. Oh, no, we've got to go through it. Squelch, squirch, squelch, squirch. Squelch, squirch. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Uh-oh, a forest, a big dark forest. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. Oh, no, we've got to go through it. Stumble, trip, stumble, trip, stumble, trip. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Uh-oh, a snowstorm, a whirling, swirling snowstorm. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. Oh, no, we've got to go through it. Now, listen, I lived in Alaska for six years, so I earned those hoo-woos on that one. 
<laughs> Y'all didn't believe me. I'm telling you, it's cold. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Uh-oh, a cave, a narrow, gloomy cave. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. Oh, no, we've got to go through it. Tiptoe, tiptoe, tiptoe. What's that? One shiny, wet nose, two big, furry ears, two big, goggly eyes. It's a bear. Quick, back through the cave, tiptoe, tiptoe, tiptoe. Back through the snowstorm, hoo-woo, hoo-woo, hoo-woo. Back through the forest, stumble, trip, stumble, trip, stumble, trip. Back through the mud, squelch, squirt, squelch, squirt, squelch, squirt. Back through the river, splash, 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 splash. Back through the grass, swishy, swashy, swishy, swashy, swishy, swashy. Get to our front door, open the door, up the stairs. Oh no, we forgot to shut the door. Back downstairs, shut the door, back upstairs, into the bedroom, into bed, under the covers. And we're not going on a bear hunt again. Now, now I want you to hear basically the same thing in what for some of us has been a familiar psalm. Now, the first time I learned this psalm, I didn't read it and I didn't have it read to me. I actually heard it sung, and I learned the beginning of this psalm, Psalm 42. I learned it in a chorus, and I heard it this way. And so I had it memorized, and I'd never read it, just heard it and sang it. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship thee. You know, when I would sing that chorus, and when I first heard it, I remember as a young man, a young follower of Christ in college, I remember imagining this deer down by a brook and this serene scene of this in this meadow, and, and this deer is just thirsting for this brook and this intimate time with God, the picture that's being painted by this psalmist. And I remember longing to have what this psalmist was describing. Lord, I want to be like that deer down by that water brook and this incredible moment of intimacy with you. And that's what I thought that psalm was about because I only knew the beginning of that psalm. So I'm going to start with Psalm 42, verse 1, and I'm going to read a few verses deeper into the psalm. It goes this way, verse 1, chapter 42, Psalm 42 says, As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Now listen to what happens in verse 3. This is where it begins to change. This is the truth of the psalm. He says, My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Where is your God? I don't see him around you. I don't see him on you. Where is he? He said, these things I remember as I pour out my soul within me. The man who wrote this psalm was hurting. Do you hear that? He was hurting. He says, these things I remember and I pour out my soul within me. He said, for I used to go along with the throng and lead them in the process or in the procession to the house of God. What's implied there? He said, I used to go along and I led the throng to worship. What's implied in that statement? I used to go along. 
Listen, there was a day, and I can remember that day, but that day's not today. I am thirsty. I'm dying. My tears have been my food day and night. I can only remember what it was like to lead men and women into worship. He says, with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. That's what he was remembering. Verse 5, he says, why are you in despair, O my soul? That word despair is used in the, in the Hebrew. It literally means to be cast down, to be humbled. This guy has been laid low. He says, why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Then he says this. He says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. Again, what's implied by that statement? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him means what? Not today. My hope is that there'll be a day when I will once again be able to praise him. But today I'm not praising him. I'm, my tears are my food day and night. Where is my God? I can only remember what it was like to be with him and near him and know that intimacy with him. And I don't know where he's at. And people that see me don't know where he's at. And I don't know where I'm at, except I know I'm hurting. And I can only remember. He says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. But then you got to hear this. He doesn't say, I'll again praise him because my circumstances are going to change. He doesn't say, I will again praise him because life's going to look different. He doesn't say, I'll again praise him because God's going to change all this. He doesn't say, I'm going to praise him because I'm going to stop crying about all this. He says, I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. He says, oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember thee from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Then in verse 7, he says this. He says, deep calls to deep at the sound of thy waterfalls. You know, I lived for six years in Anchorage, Alaska, and Anchorage is surrounded on three sides by water. Anchorage has one of the ten largest tides in the world. Here's what that means. Typically, if you've been to the beach, you know, the tide comes in like a wave at a time. And slowly, you know, the water was here. And like five hours later, the water's way out here. Well, in Anchorage, the tide came in in one wave. It's called a boar tide. People, tourists drown because of this. You could be standing on what looks like a beach. And 10 seconds later, be under 10 feet of water because the tide came in. It's called the boar tide. There are no surfers. People don't surf waves in Anchorage. You know what they do? Men and women put on wetsuits, go out there on a surfboard, and they wait for the boar tide. And they surf the tide like a wave, and they'll ride that thing for miles. So a man can be standing there, and all of a sudden he looks up, and he's way underwater. One of my best friends lives on the north shore of Oahu. His backyard is the Pacific Ocean. And this friend of mine, uh, he, 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 deep, he deep dives. He free dives. I mean, he goes way underwater without oxygen. And he goes down there, and he spear fishes. So he's got his long spear gun and his snorkel. So he'll take a breath, and, and, and he'll go under. Like, but when he goes under, he'll go under 100, 120 feet, and he'll stay two, three, four minutes. He'll stay down there. And I go, I've been out with him, out there, out there. I got my little floaties on and my snorkel, and I'm paddling around on top, and I'm watching Mark go down there. And he goes way down, and then he just lays down there near the bottom, and he's just sitting there, like for minutes. And he stays down there until he, he absolutely can't, he thinks his lungs are going to explode, he has no more air, and then finally he comes up. 
And I've watched him do this so many times. He never just comes up like, like kind of. He doesn't scramble up. He doesn't look up. Here, when Mark comes up, he comes up and he's always looking down. And he's always coming up like real calm and real collected and barely moving his feet. I've watched him do this so many times. And I asked him about it. And he said, Jeff, here's what happens. He goes, I go down 120 feet. And he said, and I don't come up till I don't have any more air. He said, if I look up from down there, now you think about this. How many have been underwater before? Like maybe five, ten feet underwater maybe. And then you look up. Like you could be five feet underwater and you look up. What's that five feet look like? Looks like 50. So you can imagine being down like 100. And Mark said, you know what? If I'm down there and I've been down there a long time and I don't come up until I just, I just have to come up. He said, if I look up, 100 feet looks like 500. Now, if you're way down there and have no air left, and you look up and you see 500 feet between you and air, your heart's going to start beating harder. You're going to panic, and that little bit of oxygen that you still have left is going to be gone, which is why he doesn't look up and why he comes up so calmly and so slowly. Now, in this psalm, what happened is this man in this psalm, he's describing a scenario where he was standing on the beach, and a boar tide swept over him, and he has no more air, and he looks up, and he's 500 feet down, and he does not think he's going to live. That's where this man is in this psalm. He says, and in that place, he says, deep calls to deep at the sound of thy waterfalls. All thy breakers and thy waves have rolled over me. Whose waves and breakers have rolled over him? Whose are they? They're God's waves and God's breakers. He said, but in this place, deep calls to deep. Now, you need to hear this. Commentators have talked about this. I've read this. They all say, I don't know what deep calls to deep means. I don't know what he's talking about there. Can I tell you something? Can I tell you what deep calls to deep means? I'm 52 years old, and I've walked with Jesus Christ for 34 years. Can I tell you what deep calls to deep means? It means, it means that deep calls to deep. It means... That when I've been in places where I am way under and I have no more air and I think I'm going to die and I, my tears are my food day and night and I do look up and I see where I'm at and my heart is beating and I don't know what's going to happen and I think I'm going to die, that deep calls to deep. God speaks deeply to me in those deep places. It's the place I hear from him. And it's, in some ways, uniquely a place that I hear from him. And that's why this man here is saying he's hoping again for the help of his presence, that deep will call to deep, that God will speak to me and he'll be with me there. He says, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and listen, his song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. Now turn to the left. I want you to see another familiar psalm. I'm picking some familiar ones, and I want you to see them differently. I want you to go to Psalm 23. We're going to move from a deer to a sheep. Psalm 23, verse 1 says this. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. Stop right there. Who is the shepherd? Who's the sheep? Who's doing the leading? The shepherd. The Lord. The Lord is leading in Psalm 23. Gotta, it's got to be clear because what's coming, remember who the shepherd is. 
He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Listen, he does lead me. Be, he does lead me. He, 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 he makes me lie down in green pastures. He, he does lead me beside quiet waters. He, he does restore my soul. He does guide me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. But look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Stop right there. How did you get in that valley? He might have led you there. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, I fear no evil, for thou art what? He's with me. That's what the psalmist was saying in Psalm 42. Deep is calling to deep here. I fear no evil because he's with me. He says, thy rod and thy staff, he's, he's leading me. He's, he's walking with me through there like they're a comfort to me. Then in verse 5, he says, thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Who prepared the table? Now, listen, back in that day, you know, they didn't come saddle up to a table the way, the way we do. Like, they reclined at a table. It's a Roman triclinium table. It sat about a foot off the ground. Usually it was a U-shape or a V-shape. And everyone would, would recline on the outside of that U or that V. And then the servants would come into the middle and then serve the food. So, so when you ate a meal back then, if, I don't know, you probably won't even see me up here, but I'm going to do this anyway. When you ate a meal back then, like, you got down on an elbow like this, and you reclined and you ate. And you ate. Now, I want to tell you, you did not have a meal with anyone you did not trust. Because if I'm going to lay down here on an elbow, like I'm vulnerable here. Like I can't get my knife. Like I can't jump up and protect myself. So to eat a meal with anyone was a sign of friendship and trust. You did not recline at a table with someone you did not trust. In the psalm, the writer's saying, I'm sitting at a table that's been prepared for me. And who's at that table? My enemies. So I'm sitting with some people that want to hurt me. I'm sitting with some people I don't trust. And yet God has put me at this table. In fact, God has put them at this table. And I'm vulnerable there. But who put me there? Who put them there? He says, thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And yet in that context, he says this. And thou hast anointed my head with oil, and my cup is overflowing at this table with these men and women that I don't want to hurt me, and that I don't trust, and that I've been vulnerable to, and yet I've been at this table with them, and God set the whole thing up. My cup overflows. He says, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my, my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Listen, sometimes you can go over it. Sometimes you can go around it. Sometimes you can go under it. But most of the time, you are going to have to go through it. Yet when the waves roll over us, what do we pray? Lord, help me avoid this. Lord, help me. I'm not shaming you for this. These are my prayers. God, help me go under it. God, help me get over it. God, get me out of this. Do anything. Just don't make me go through it. 
When we find ourselves in the valley of the shadow of death, what do we pray? We pray, Lord, get me out of this valley. We pray, Lord, get me away from this table and out of the company of these enemies. And we often assume that it would be to God's greater glory for him to deliver us from our circumstances to take us around it, over it, or under it. And even in the case of our enemies, for him to kill them in front of us so he can be glorified and we can enjoy it. God, the Bible doesn't read that way. Now, it reads that way in some places. You don't go there, but I want you to follow with me. I'm just going to read it. I'll, I'll move forward to Hebrews chapter 11, where God's talking about a lot of people that went over it and under it and around it. He says, what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I, if I tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith they conquered kingdoms, they performed acts of righteousness, they, they, they obtained promises, they shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of, the, of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. From weakness were made strong. Like, I'm, I'm signing up for this now, and it's not done. He said they became mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, nor that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others, oh, there's others that had to go through it. Experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death. They were, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all of these, it says in verse 39 of Hebrews 11, and all of these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Like, they didn't get the reward. It's incredible here. Listen to what he says. Because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. You know what he's saying here? He's saying the men and women I just described who went through all that, went through all that did not get what was promised to them yet because they're waiting for us when we get ours. They're waiting for us, and we're going to get it all together. They're still waiting for those of us who will most likely have to what? Go through it. Go through it. If we do go through it, I think often we do everything we can not to feel the impact of what we're going through when we're going through it. Not only do we not want to go through it, we don't want to feel it when we're going through it. Because when the waves roll over us, what do we do? Well, first of all, we try to protect God's reputation. We think that we need to make life better than it is for God to be as good as he is. And we don't understand that life can be hard and God can still be good. That's what the Hebrews said. We see, we think we have to talk about our life like it's better because somehow if our life's not good, God isn't good. Listen, your life isn't good, and God is good. I'm going to talk a minute how come I know your life isn't good. When the waves roll over us, we check out, we live in denial, we minimize, we justify, we defend, we medicate ourselves with sex, drugs, alcohol, recreation, entertainment, religion, 
we get busy so, so we don't have to face our life and the impact of our lives. So we don't have to see life on life's terms. We just stay on top of the water, moving, running, shucking, jiving, do whatever we have to do. So we don't have to stop and ever look at what our life is and have to face that our life isn't what we wanted. And it isn't what we were made for. We even spiritualize it. You heard this said before, God won't give you more than you can handle. Have you heard that? God won't give you more than you can handle. Listen, God will give you more than you can handle. He will. God will give you. He's given me right now more than I can handle. <clears throat> and have you ever thought to consider that it could be, listen, this is it, it could be the mercy of God that he has led you to a place in your life that is more than you can handle. And that he's led you to a place in your life where you're beginning to have to see that life does not and will not work for you. You see, there was a time when there was a couple where life worked for them. Back in Genesis, God put this couple in the garden, and they had all they needed. They had everything they wanted. Everything they were made for was theirs. And all that would give them life, they had. And he said, there's one thing you can't have. And he put a tree in the middle of that garden and said, don't eat this tree. Don't eat from this tree. Now, where was that tree in the garden? Where was it geographically in the garden? <clears throat> it was in the middle of the garden. Now, why is that important? This couple had everything. Listen, stuff wasn't eating each other. You know, they didn't get poison ivy when they worked outside. They didn't fight. Like, like everything worked. And they were working in that garden. God gave them jobs to do, but it just, it all worked. And yet they had this tree in the middle. And that was important because as they're going about their day, by the way, by the way, God said this, you know, you know that tree, there's a reason that's in here. And there's a lot to this, but here's the bottom line. There's a God in this garden and you're not it. There's an authority here and it's not you. And as you're going about your day and all this is wonderful and you're enjoying me and enjoying this and enjoying each other. You can't miss this tree. It's in the middle. Everywhere you go, you're reminded, you know what? This is unbelievable. And part of what makes this unbelievable is that God is God and I'm not, and I don't have to be. And as long as I remember that he's God and I'm made of flesh, and as long as I know that I need him and I don't have to be him, I have all this. And I can't escape it. I can't go anywhere in this garden without being reminded that I'm in need of God and I'm not him and I need him. And as long as I remember I need him, I don't have to be him. Let him be who he is. Me admit who I am. Gosh, this is unbelievable what I've got. And the lie of the enemy was this. The serpent said this. You're missing out down here. And God's holding out on you. And if you really want to live, you're going to have to be like God. You're going to have to come out from under him. You're going to have to take life on your own in your own hands and live it your way. And you go try to find life the way you think you think will live and will be. And so the man and the woman did it. And then in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, it says, God cursed the serpent for telling the lie to the man and the woman. But then in verse 15, when it looked like the whole world was falling apart, and you wonder if God's in control, and you wonder where he's at on this whole thing, in Genesis 3.15 it says, after cursing the serpent, God promises a Messiah. He says, here there will be one that will turn all, lest you think I'm not in control here, lest you think this has got away from me, lest you think I'm not God here still, I want to remind you, I am, and I've got a plan, I had one from before time, I got a plan to turn all this around, and he's coming, and he promises it. In Genesis 
So the context of Genesis 3 now becomes mercy. First, it's judgment upon the serpent. He curses the serpent, never curses the man and the woman. He promises a Messiah. And then I'm going to summarize the next four verses. Here's what God says to the man and the woman. He says this. Yeah, yeah, you're married. And it's going to be hard. (laughs) It's going to undo you. And then then you're going to have kids. Oh, God. And it's going to be impossible. And there will be nothing that will be sweeter yet more bitter. And then he says, that job you have, there will be days it will feel like it will be wonderful because you were made to work. But you know what? It's going to feel like work no matter how good a job you have. And then he said, you know that, that body I gave you? Like when you were a young man or a young woman, like it did what you wanted it to do. Can I tell you something? It's going to fall apart on you. (laughs) And it's going to stop working. And you're going to drop into a grave and die someday. And it'll be my mercy. If you find yourself here, and you ever turn back to me, and you raise your hands and say, oh, God, what have I done? You didn't live in. Apart from you is not living. And I need you. You see, I thought I didn't need you. But I need you. In anything, anything that brings a man or a woman to this posture, to this cry out, to this admission, to this spiritual awakening, to this ability spiritually, which is the grace of God, to actually receive the gift that was offered in verse 15 of Genesis 3. Anything that brings a man or a woman to this place is the mercy of God. You see, you can't go over it. You can't go around that. And you can't go under that. Most likely, you're going to have to go through that. Deep calls to deep. I'm in the middle of something right now that I feel like I'm 500 feet under and I have no air left. I even said to a friend of mine this week, I was having coffee over here at the Barnes & Noble in Brentwood and I said, I don't know if I'm ever going to get over this. And I knew what I was going to teach. I didn't even think what I was saying. And he said, well, maybe the point isn't to get over it. Maybe it's to be in it. You see, religion is an attempt to make life work or remove me from the admission that it will not. Christianity is the admission that life will never work this side of heaven. And grieving this truth leads me to the only relationship that offers me the life I was made for. George Barna writes in his book, Maximum Faith, George Barna does studies all over the United States, around the world, and he did a study. And he said, how do North American Christians grow? Like, where do I see maximum growth or maximum faith? And he, and he looked around, and he did studies with churches all over America. And here, he came up with five indicators of when these things happen, you will grow spiritually going through it. Now, I don't recommend any of these. But he said, if you go to prison, you're going to grow. <laughs> he said, you go through a divorce... 
you're going to grow. He said, you have a health crisis. It sound, listen, by, he sounds like he's quoting Genesis 3. You have a health crisis, you're going to grow. <clears throat> you go through bankruptcy, you're going to grow. You have the cri- a crisis in the life of one of your children, you're going to grow. Three times the Apostle Paul prayed. He said, God, I'm going to paraphrase for him. God, help me go over this. Help me to go under this. Help me to go around this. God, don't, I don't want to go through this anymore. Three times the Apostle Paul prayed this. And then later prayed in Philippians 3.10. He said, that I, might, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. He said, going through it's how I know you. Thank God you didn't take me out of it. Jonah wanted to go another way. God swallowed him up in a fish and spit him in the right direction. Even Jesus, listen, even Jesus, fully God, but also what? Say it, fully man. Fully me and fully you. Fully God, fully man. In the Garden of Gethsemane, his hour had come. Which, by the way, who determined when that hour would be? Jesus did. They were trying to rush him into that all that time earlier. Listen, Do you think Jesus in Gethsemane was surprised by that moment? In other words, do you think somehow he wakes up in Gethsemane, he knows what's coming, he says, how did I get here? I had no idea this was part of the plan. I didn't know this was coming. No, Jesus knew from eternity past this day was his destiny. He chose to submit himself to the human flesh that he became he knew that all that that was headed toward was this moment, which was going to lead to a cross. He was in his day, in the moment, all that he prepared for. 30 years of life walking around this earth. Forget all eternity prior to that. 30 years of waiting, then several years of ministry, and now his hours come. He's actually going to finally go do the very thing all this was for, to fulfill the promise of Genesis 3.15, all that God had promised and he had committed to do. He's finally there. It's his moment of truth. It's his hour. He's in this garden, and what does he pray? Oh, Father, can I go over this or around this or under this? Or over this. He said, oh, Father, is there another way? So he was a man. And what was that man feeling? What was he feeling? Say it. I know it doesn't sound right. Jesus was afraid. He was so afraid. Yet the scripture says this, that in that moment, sweating drops of blood, not just, ter- not just afraid of the physical torment that was to come because Jesus had never for all of eternity been relationally separated from his father and he knew that all the sin of humanity was about to be placed upon him and God's wrath, his father's wrath would be placed upon him. He was terrified of what was to come. He said, God, get me out of this. Is there another way? You know, one of the gospels says that an angel came and met with him, sat with him, like, like the presence of his father was expressed through that angel. And when Jesus was reminded that God was with him, deep, calling to deep, in that moment of tears and sweat that was blood, it says that Jesus, when he was reminded of his father's witness in that moment, he said he stood up, he stood up, and he said, not my will, but thy will be done. Listen, when the Bible says fear not, Listen, when it says fear not, fear is not the absence of faith. It's not the absence of faith. 
Do we live in a scary world post-Genesis chapter 3 where bad things happen? Oh, yeah. Scary things happen. Listen, stuff's happening around the world right now. If you aren't reading the news, you need to be scared and hopeful. I'm talking to my kids like crazy. I came to know Christ in 1980, and there's stuff happening today in 2014 that as I read the Bible and I read what was coming, and Jesus said, you don't know that you know, every generation thinks they're going to see the return of Christ, but, but, and you won't know the day or the hour, but you can know the season. Like when that mother starts like having those pains, like it's going to start speeding up, stuff's going to happen. You need to know, you can be aware that stuff's happening, I'm going to come back. And I can tell you that I'm watching stuff happening around the world today that I couldn't have imagined geopolitically happening 34 years ago. And I remember thinking, the Lord can't come back. How can you even see that stuff happening? It's happening now. And so I'm talking to my children about the return of Christ and saying, you need to be ready. You need to be ready for a world that's going to hate you. You need to be ready for a world that's going to persecute you. You need to be ready for a world that's going to treat you like these people in the last part of Hebrews chapter 11. You need to be ready for this. Because it's coming. And you might not see the return of Christ, but I promise you this, we're moving toward it. It's going to happen. And I have one of my kids, Anna Kay, she's a senior in high school. This is a couple years ago. I was sharing her some of this, and she said, Daddy, she said, I don't know if I want the Lord to come back. And I said, honey, talk to me about that. She said, well, I, I, I want to get married, and, and I want to have kids. And I'm thinking to myself, I got married, and I had kids. And I'm praying God will come back today. <laughs> Listen, I love my wife, and I love my kids, and I believe I'm the richest man you'll ever meet because of my wife and kids, but even with all that I have, I got to tell you this, I was not made for life the way it is now, and I'm grieving, like, like Romans 8 says, grieving and moaning like the trees are moaning for Christ to come back, because I wasn't made for this. We live in a scary place where bad things happen. Fear not because I'm with you. Not because it's not going to be scary. Fear not because I'm with you. Fear not because I'm with you. Fear not because I'm your shield. Fear not because I've chosen you. Fear not because I've redeemed you. Fear not because I've called you. Fear not because I will uphold you. Fear not because I will strengthen you. Fear not because I will sometimes deliver you. Yes. But fear not because of who I am with you in this. Sometimes over it, sometimes around it, sometimes under it, but a lot of times through it. Look, look if, if, a, if a tornado came sweeping through here right now, and, and the windows start popping, and, the, and their roofs start blowing off, and we all knew what was happening, okay, and I've got my kids sitting back there. i got a 12-year-old back there, David. If all that starts happening, what do you think my 12-year-old's going to do? By the way, stop a second. What are you feeling when all that starts happening? Just say it. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. My 12-year-old's afraid. Where do you think he's going to go if all that starts happening? Even while I'm up here speaking right now, what do you think he's going to do? He's going to run straight to me. Listen, this is crazy. He's closer to the door than I am. He's going to run away from the door toward me. Some of you bigger than me, faster than me, stronger than me, younger than me. You may be better equipped to get him out of this house. But he's going to run to me and not you. Now, why is he going to run to me and not you? He doesn't know you. He doesn't know anything about you, but he knows me. He's learned to trust something about me, and he's going to run to me because he knows that with me, regardless of what's going on around him through it, as long as he's with me, he's going to be okay. You see, fear is not the absence of faith. 
Fear is the acknowledgement of my human condition in a fallen world that needs to cry out toward a God that can be with me in a place that can hurt me. And I run to him because I am afraid, not in the absence of it. And oftentimes we use the Bible and we use Christianity. We lose religion, not Christianity. We lose religion to try to talk us out of our very human need of the God we say we love and worship. The Bible does say perfect love casts out all fear, but read the context of 1 John 4. He's talking about eternal judgment, and he's saying that in that day of judgment, we have a Father that if we know him and are growing in our perfect love of him, we will know with confidence that we don't have to be afraid that in that day he'll put us out or reject us. It's not saying don't be afraid of a tornado whipping through this house. He's saying don't be afraid that God's going to reject you because he's capricious, might change his mind, or might decide someday he doesn't love you anymore. He said, you can trust that God and not be afraid that he won't welcome you into his house forever. That's what 1 John's talking about. In 2 Timothy 1.7, he says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. The word there doesn't mean fear. It means God hasn't made us cowards. Cowards, opposite of courage. So you can be of courage. Listen, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is a willingness to walk into what I'm afraid of because I'm passionate about something enough that I'll walk into it. And I know that even if what I'm afraid of will happen, happens, I've got a God who will be with me in it. And so I do it anyway because I believe God's with me even though I'm afraid. I will act courageously. So that's why you don't have to be cowards. But you better be afraid because if you're not afraid, you don't think you need God. Philippians 4, 6, it says be anxious for nothing. That word anxious, that's not the same as fear. Listen, if you won't confess your fear, you'll try to control and management, and then you're going to be anxious because you're going to try to get over your fear. Instead of telling the truth about your human condition and crying out to a God who you've learned to know, who you know he'll be with you, most likely through it. Deep calls to deep. Can't go over it, can't go around it, can't go under it sometimes you got to go through it. And the promise is this. Here's the promise. You, I, don't have to go through it alone. It's like the God who has you where he has you. Now, here's another possibility. You may have dove into that deep water. That's possible. You may have run headlong into the valley of the shadow of death. That's possible. You may have put yourself at that table with those people and actually made them your enemies. That's possible. But God says he's still with you. He hasn't left you in that valley. He hasn't left you at that table. It's like that God has you where he has you, and you will experience God in it if you tell the truth about it. Now, what's this have to do with Father's Day? Now, that's another whole message. But I've seen Pastor Chris do this, like preach another message. <laughs> so I might take that liberty, <laughs> but it'll be short. I have six children, ages 23, 21, 20, 17, 14, and 12. And if they are wishing me a happy Father's Day today, it's because they've come to appreciate that they can't go around me, can't go under me, can't go over me. In this life, by the providence of God, they've got to go through me. That means this. That means my children must go through my imperfection 
to find his perfection. And it's my admission of my imperfection and my need of God that leads them to his perfection and their admission of their need of him. Men, to be the dad your kids need, you don't have to be a God. You just have to be a human being made of flesh who needs God. And by your own admission of your need of God, on your knees, in a place of surrender, your children will learn to need God themselves. I tell my kids all the time, I'm not God. I'm not your perfect father in heaven. The writer of Hebrews says, your earthly father did his best. If he'd give you a loaf of bread, how much more do you think I'd give you? I tell my kids, I am the imperfect father that God gave you to point you to him. And it is my own weakness and the admission of that weakness that will both cause you to trust him with me even and even watching me show you what it looks like to trust him. Can't go over it. Can't go around it. Can't go under it. Got to go through it. But we have a father who loves us and is with us. Deep calling to deep. Thank God.
Ghost in Jesus Christ His death and resurrection Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer But this I know with all my heart His wounds have paid my should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. But this I know, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds. Brother Jeff, would you come and give us our closing prayer? Lord, I'm so grateful that uh, what we all just heard, what I just heard, that it's true. God is true. And what we've just sung is true. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for being true, faithful, patient, kind, unrelenting, never stop pursuing, always loving, always giving, always pouring, always running toward. I'm grateful today, Lord, that in deep places, even the deep one I'm in, and I look around this room, and I don't have to know anyone in the room to not know that there's, this room's full of deep water. And so I pray today, Lord God, would, would we have ears to hear you speak deeply in these deep places. Lord, your sweet words of comfort and care, tenderness, assurance of your presence. Or protect us from our anxious running and spinning and trying to fix and change and overcome denial and busyness. And Lord, I pray we I pray for me today. I just stop. I'm just grateful. Pray that for every man and woman in this room right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Have a wonderful Father's Day. Amen. Amen.